Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 385 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Sherry Lawyer. Sherry lives in Concord, New Hampshire, where she is a court operational specialist for the New Hampshire courts. Welcome, Sherry. Hi, thank you, Jen. I'm very excited to be here with you. Well, we talked a little bit before we started recording, and for the audience, Sherry shared that her job is managing name changes for the state of New Hampshire. And I was like, boy, that's interesting. You know, I was a teacher, so we saw a lot of children whose parents gave them, let's just say, unusual names, but you work with (laughs) like adults who are picking their names. (laughs) Right. It's interesting. I bet it is. People are so interesting. Like, if I was going to pick a name for myself, what would it be? I don't know. Now I'm going to have to think on that. (laughs) You'll have to think about it. (laughs) But that's one job we never think of that. There's somebody in your state, whatever state it is, whose job it is to look at the name changes. Is there a way you could say, no, I'm sorry, you can't pick that? That's up to the judge, not to me. Okay. It's just up to me to make sure all the documentation is in and they get everything right. And then we get it to the judge and they decide. So sometimes the judge might be like, no, you are not right. <laughs> Anyhow, I just, I, I'm fascinated by all the jobs that there are and that we don't even think about that somebody's out there doing. And anyway, let's move on to our topic today. You know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? So I have had two journeys with intermittent fasting. The first one started in December of 2019. I was coming off of Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. Not a great season for eating for me. I was getting to my 
New Year's resolution of time to lose weight again. And I decided to do an internet search. What diet am I going to do this time? And my search was, how do celebrities lose weight quick for a role? And up pops. Cool search. Yeah. yeah. So I decided that, you know, hey, whatever they do, maybe they have a secret that we don't know about. And up popped Hugh Jackman was preparing for one of the Wolverines and it said he did 60 and 8 intermittent fasting. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. You just eat for eight hours and you don't eat for 16 hours. I can do that. Anybody can do that. So I was going to start January 1st of 2020 and Christmas Day, we decided to go to the movies in the evening, ate too much popcorn, came home and got some sort of stomach bug and ended up sick as a dog for three days. I couldn't get out of bed. So I said, well, I guess I'm starting my intermittent fasting right now because I don't feel good. Well, we don't want to start like that. <laughs> we want to not be with a stomach. Stomach bugs are the worst, but it got you like right ready for it. It didn't got it? me started. Yeah, exactly. So I just did the intermittent fasting, 16, 8. It was dirty fasting. I didn't know that it was a real thing, a movement. A, I just thought it was a crazy Hollywood diet. So I did that for about five months. I lost 30 pounds. That and walking, lots of walking, and felt great. Got down to, I think I started around 155, and I'm tiny. I'm five feet nothing. And so I weighed about 155, and I got down, to, I hit 129 and for one second, and then I was in the low 130s, and I stayed there for maybe three or four months, and it, creeping up between 130 and 135. And I was thrilled because I was down in an eight and a 10. And to me, that was perfect. Because it, it had been a while since you had been at that size. and Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that was my initial beginning of that. Now, once you got to your goal in that 130, 135 range, did you keep fasting? No, because I just thought it was a diet, a way to lose weight. So, of course, it all crept back over time. But I had done many, many diets over the years. I grew up in a very active household. My parents were very good tennis players. My dad was actually a teaching pro for tennis and golf. And my sister and I grew up with tennis rackets in our hands. So we were lived across the street from tennis courts in a park and down the street from a beach, very active neighborhood. But because they played tennis so often, we were constantly on the run. Like they'd get out of work. My mom was a nurse. She'd get out at three. We'd get out of school at three and we'd go home and then we'd get in the car and go to somebody's tennis court. And the kids would all play together while the parents played tennis. So by the time they were done playing tennis, it was dinner time and we were starving. So often that meant a trip to McDonald's, a trip to a diner, go home and throw a TV dinner in because there really wasn't time to create a big meal after that. TV dinners, that brought back the memory. Dinner. Yeah. What was your favorite TV dinner? My favorite was the turkey dinner with the stuffing and gravy, and it had a little raspberry pie or some little thing beside it. And I bet like you can still tart. imagine how it tasted. I can. I had a million. Mine was <laughs> I loved Morton's it. Beans and Franks. Morton's Beans oh, and Franks and the little... Okay. A little pan, and you had to bake it for like 45 minutes or so. It wasn't exactly. fast. We probably could have created a whole meal, but you know, they had to take yeah, a shower. Just pop it in. Everybody got what they wanted. Bread. But I remember the beans and the Franks, and then it had cornbread on the side that was kind of a sweet, like jiffy cornbread. And then it also had like these apples with cinnamon, little apple chunks. It was mm -hmm, so good. I remember that was that my favorite. Dessert. I would, yeah, I would probably <laughs> eat one right now and be like, what? <laughs> But they don't make those anymore. So y'all would just eat something quick and everybody got their TV something dinner or quick. their diner meal. Right. And then we'd do our homework and go to bed. <laughs> I don't blame my mom or dad for that. We were active. We were having a great life and we were just a product of the time. It was the time. It was the time. We're a similar age. Yeah. I'm I just turned 55. Class of okay. 86. 
<laughs> yep, class of 86 here as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. So I can remember as a child, we were all picky except for my mom. She liked everything. And the rest of us were terrible eaters. So for her to even try to make a nice dinner, half of us wouldn't have touched it. But even like going to school, she would prepare my little, I, I wouldn't eat anything at school because I didn't like their food. So she'd make me a like Wonder Bread peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'd have some carrot sticks and an apple and maybe some small bag of Doritos and Little Debbie's Swiss cake roll. And as soon as I got to school, I'd be trying to pawn off the apple and the carrots because I didn't want those. <laughs> or Did I'd anybody be, want them? Not really. So I'd have to wait for the teacher monitor in the school to like turn their back so I could go throw them in the trash without getting caught because I oh, never I ate that, <laughs> And yeah. I didn't want to bring them home because then I'd have to, my mom would be mad that I didn't eat those. Wasting the carrots, wasting the apple. So never ate healthy. Then I got into my teenage years when I could drive to McDonald's or get a personal pan pizza. Or, oh, those you know, were the all, best. They were delicious. They were so good. I would go with my grandmother and I. We would go and we would each get our personal pan pizza and the salad bar, right? Because we had to have something healthy. The salad bar. Now, was that really healthy? Look at what you remember the Pizza Hut salad bar. <laughs> oh, yeah. You put all the cheese on it. <laughs> yep, yeah. It was great. Yeah. So I got a job in high school working for this candy and ice cream shop. And I ate more candy and ice cream than I served probably. We could eat all we wanted. So it was wrap a caramel, eat a caramel, wrap a caramel, eat a caramel. Sunday for lunch every day. Uh, so not really the healthiest. So by the time I got to graduate from high school, I was probably, I'm going to say I was 165. So very overweight, very obese for my size. The fact that you're five foot nothing, that's a big, right. you know, because if and you were small five bone. nine, 165 would be a whole different weight on a five nine body. But for, for five feet tall, yeah, it was extra, definitely. Right. And that was even with being really active and captain of the tennis team and field hockey. I was just couldn't outrun my poor diet. So unfortunately, I continued my poor diet until age 54. <laughs> and that didn't really serve me well, but I was picky and I just decided I had a job and I could eat what I wanted. And what I wanted was not healthy, which led me to a diagnosis of diabetes at 31. Found that out because my husband and I got married. I think we were 31 when we got married, but we immediately started trying to have a baby. I think I was on Clomid within a couple of weeks of marriage because we knew we wanted kids and we were starting older. So my gynecologist said, I'm going to send you for a fasted glucose just to be sure, you, you know, if you have prediabetes, I can put you on metformin, which will help you conceive. So he did the blood test. And as you know, like you should be 100 or less. And I was like 162. So I, he was like, you're not pre-diabetic, you are diabetic. So starting, like, starting trying to have children with this brand new diagnosis of, oh my goodness, I have diabetes. So it was back to the primary care doctor. It was straight to a specialist for fertility. It was nutritionists. I don't know if it's the way they still teach, but at the time it was eating all day. That was the way they wanted diabetics to eat. They wanted you to eat your meal, your snack, your small meal, your snack, your small meal, your snack, your small meal, your dessert. So I was eating all day, small meals. I was trying to count calories as well. And it was easier to count calories by having the small package of crackers, peanut butter crackers, or the snack wells or things like that, because you could easily count it, or the microwave dinners at that time. So that's basically what I did. And we did not get pregnant. Nothing worked for us, which was turned out absolutely perfect, because we ended up adopting our children from Guatemala. And they are definitely our children. So it was 
a-okay. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm sorry that you struggled with that, but you have the family that is right for you and you wouldn't have it any other way looking back. Certainly wouldn't. Nope, it worked out. So as a newly diagnosed diabetic, I probably did what most people do, tried really hard at first to do everything perfect and make it so that I could live my life without struggle and not lose a leg and not have all those horrible things, lose my eyesight and all that. But then you go down a road and you realize you feel like it's nothing's working and you give up and you just like any dieter, any cereal dieter, where you have those good times and those bad times. And unfortunately, like I said, because my diet was poor and I didn't like a lot of healthy food. I mean, I didn't like vegetables at all. I didn't like fruit at all. I didn't eat eggs. So many things. It was very, very picky. But I did like a big giant bagel or a big giant candy bar and all those kind of things. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. I think this speaks to how our palate develops as we grow up. I was like you. We were raised in the exact same era. I'm 54. I'll be 55, obviously, at my next birthday. So we graduated high school the same year. When you are allowed, like we were, to just eat the processed foods and when we actively avoided the fruits and vegetables. I remember picking the carrots and peas out of my chicken pot pie. 100%. <laughs> that took an hour exactly. in the oven. Those, you really, <laughs> I would get two chicken pot pies and pick out the vegetables and just eat the crust and the chicken and the sauce. And when we're allowed to develop that kind of processed food palate, we really can't tolerate the bitterness of the veggies and we don't like the real food. We have been trained to eat the junk. It's really sad and we see it around us now. I could have been the poster girl for ultra processed foods. They could have put me on the cover. That was my life. I went to this fast food place or that one. I stopped at gas stations for my big giant muffin. Uh, Lots of just junk, lots of junk. And I would try, and then I'd say, no, you can't eat like that. You're going to cause yourself problems. You've got to get it under control. And I'd go on a diet like Slim Fast was a go-to, which too bad. It's very similar to fasting (laughs) in a way. So close. So close. Yeah. (laughs) I almost had it. But then, you know, it wasn't something you'd stay with. You just, you did it for a while and then you'd, then you'd stop and then you'd gain it all back and then you'd try again. I lost the same 20, 30 pounds over and over throughout my life. You know, it just kept coming back. It kept finding its way back. And, you know, sometimes 50 pounds. 
really what's so sad for you and for me, and it sounds so very similar, our struggles, like we were just taught, well, you just need to eat smaller meals, eat less, move more, but we were eating all the processed foods. So eating fewer processed foods, like the slim fast shakes and the diet bars and all of that, it was actually so much harder because of that, those processed diet solutions that they were selling us. So I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism at age, I think, 27 and put on Synthroid for that. And then at 42, then with the diabetes at 31 and then and put on metformin for that. And then at age 42, they found a rather large fibroid and said I needed to have a total hysterectomy. Wow. That's a lot, a lot going on. A lot going on, starting, everything's starting to go bad. <laughs> so we did the total hysterectomy and a few years later, I was put on medication for high blood pressure and high cholesterol. And a few years after that, the metformin was not keeping, my A1C was creeping higher and higher. And, you know, I was still back to see the nutritionist again. Who was, they were still recommending the same, eat lots of small meals throughout the day and get your exercise. And I was doing that and it still wasn't working for me. And I ended up on insulin. Wow. And you know, that is so sad because that's the advice that they had to give you. Eat a bunch of small meals and exercise, just eat less throughout those small meals, move more. Well, that didn't work. So here's some insulin. And then once you start the insulin, I think I started at maybe 15 units a day, once a day, and that worked for a short time. And then if you have a bad eating day or whatever, you need more. And it just got more and more and more and more and more until I was injecting more than 100 units a day. And my A1C on insulin got up to 11. Oh my goodness. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. So that, that advice was definitely not working at all. No. So they finally, he, my primary care doctor finally said, it's time to see an endocrinologist. He referred me to an endocrinologist. I remember going in there, meeting this very nice man, silver haired man. And crying and saying, you don't understand. I'm trying to eat right. And this is what I eat. And, you know, this is what I eat. And I try to walk and it, nothing's working. And he just, he took my hands and he said, I don't, he said, it's okay. He said, I don't care what you eat. It doesn't matter what you eat. All I, I have a chart. And if you follow my chart, you're, you, we will be able to get your insulin regulated so that we can bring your A1C down. And that's all that matters. Now, I'm so interested in that chart. <laughs> what was the chart? And, and for him to say it doesn't matter what you eat, that is also shocking. He was at the end of his career, and both he and my primary care doctor both retired last year. So they kind of were entrenched in the medicine fixes everything camp of being a doctor, both very nice men, but they didn't do what worked for me. It didn't work for me. But yeah, his chart was, we needed to get my morning blood sugar down to under 100. And in order to do that, we just kept increasing the insulin by two units until I was over 100 units a day. And yeah, it was just a terrible plan. Moment of silence for the terrible advice. Terrible. But I love that you don't blame them for not knowing because it's how they were trained, right? Exactly. We're only as good as the information that we've got. That goes for everybody. And so what happened next? So we were in the process of selling our house. We were going to downsize. The kids were out of high school and we decided we didn't need this big giant house anymore. We had a 4,000 square foot house with an apartment in it. We did our years with the kids, you know, and we had a million exchange students and hockey boys that lived with us. We had 17 full year students live with us over like a six year span. So it was, it was fun, but it was tiring, exhausting actually. And we were ready to downsize and go into a new phase of life. So we were working really hard to like keep to work on the house and get it ready 
The market was booming and we wanted to capitalize on that, paint the inside of the house and get everything packed. And while we were doing that, my husband had a vacation. He goes to Carlisle every year for a big car show, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. So he had left and I was home watching TV and decided to go brush my teeth before bed. And when I went up stairs, this was July of 2021. When I went upstairs to brush my teeth, I said, geez, my face doesn't look right. And I tried to smile and I couldn't make a full smile. It was very bizarre. And my family had had Bell's palsy before, my dad and my grandfather. So it looked like that. But I, of course, was thinking, oh my God, is it that or is it a stroke? Right. That's the first thing I thought of. So I was panicked. The kids were 18 and 21. And I think I just said, hey, I feel okay. I think it's Bell's palsy, but I need to go to the doctor. You stay home with the dogs and I'll be back. I'll text you as soon as I know what's going on. So off I went to the emergency room and they admitted me and they did a CAT scan and some other tests. And it was 2021, so it was COVID, still COVID time. So they had a specialist come on one of those robot doctor things where you just see their picture. They're not in the room with you. So the robot doctor came in (laughs) and said, does she know, said to the nurse, does she know about the meningioma? And the nurse said, no, we haven't told her about that yet. Ooh, what? So I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't know what's wrong with me, first of all, but now I don't know what a meningioma is, but it can't be good. That doesn't sound like something you want. So they tell me that he has me do all kinds of facial things. And he says, I believe that this is not a stroke. You're not presenting as a stroke. I believe this is Bell's palsy, which is like a facial paralysis that for most people is a temporary thing and will go away. He said, but when we did your CAT scan, we did find this kind of fairly good sized meningioma in the front of your brain. So that is that a brain tumor? Is that what that is? It's a brain tumor. It's in the front of your brain. They are normally, almost 90% of the time, they are benign, not cancerous. But they can grow large and they can press on parts of your brain that could cause seizures, could cause problems. So he said, first thing we need to do is make sure that this is we got to get you in for a CAT scan and we can't do it till morning because at this point it's like 11 o'clock at night. So they admitted me and the next morning I had the CAT scan and it showed the meningioma was about the size of, between the size of a gumball and a golf ball. And it was like right in my forehead that you, you couldn't see, but there it was. So I went to see a specialist, surgeon, And he said, these usually grow at a pretty slow rate, but we don't know. We can have it out now. You can have it out in 10 years, you know, if it gets larger. We can monitor it with every six months doing CAT scans. And I said, what would you do? And he said, if you were my mother or my wife, I would say, take it out. And because I had like a 45-minute commute to work, I didn't want to have a seizure. Yeah. While I was driving, he said, but unfortunately, I can't do the surgery until the Bell's palsy clears. And I said, how long is that going to take? And he said, I don't know. Could be six months. Wow. And so you're like thinking you have a ticking time bomb in your brain. You could have a seizure at any time. And you're like, well, we don't know. (laughs) And my face is frozen. Right. Oh, my gosh. My eye was drooped and my mouth was drooped. It was hard to eat. Not a great situation. So this was July. So we scheduled a follow-up visit for October to see if I'd be better by then. And I did get better. And, you know, I had like hearing loss and all, all this stuff from the Bell's palsy that did clear up and get better. But it took until I, we ended up scheduling my surgery in November. Now, in the meantime, I forgot to even mention this, before the brain tumor happened, while I was, we were working on the house, I developed a sciatic 
issue, a sciatica, and it was extremely painful. It went from my lower back down my right leg and around the side and all the way down to the under the ball of my foot. That really is painful. I had it when I was pregnant so with Will. Painful. And it, obviously pregnancy, the baby can be sitting a certain way. And he was a big baby. And I can remember I was trying to teach, but walking, it was like every time you took a step on that leg, it felt like fire. So painful. And it didn't, for me, my sciatica, I didn't get relief from sitting, standing, walking. I didn't get relief from laying down. It was actually the worst at bedtime. So it was pretty painful. So I was thinking, well, geez, maybe the brain stuff is pressing. Maybe it's pressed that meningioma is pressing on something that's causing this leg pain. But it wasn't that. (laughs) But this sciatic pain lasted from May of 2021 until I'm going to say September of 2022. Wow. That's a long time. Wasn't until I restarted fasting and losing weight that that went away. Oh, that's good. I'm glad that went away. Yep. It took a long time. So in the meantime, so I had my brain surgery, which was, like I said, it was in my forehead and my surgeon In order to get to it, he had to kind of slice me from ear to ear and pull my face down to get at that tumor to take it out. So they had to shave part of my head. I had uh, 42 staples and several sets of stitches, you know, all along. And just for the listener... I saw the the photo of after the surgery. You sent it to me, and I it just everybody imagine a big cut, like literally it looked like a Frankenstein, like a crown around. <laughs> yeah, and then the staples, and I was like, oh my gosh, because <laughs> you didn't really tell me about what that was, and I was like, well, I can't wait to hear about that. But so believe it or not, it's brain surgery is not painful. I literally went home from the hospital and took Tylenol once or twice. No medication, no pain medicine. The worst part was the scar. Or the, the worst part the, was losing the, the hair. The wound. <laughs> to okay. me, that was horrific. <laughs> right, yeah. But it did grow back and it just doesn't grow on the scar, but I'm able to hide it well and it's gone. And I've since had two or three MRIs and it's still gone. So I have to have an annual MRI for that every year. And they just monitor to make sure it doesn't come back. There's a slight chance it could come back. But I wonder now that if I hadn't rushed to take that out, I wonder if IF would have healed me. That's interesting. I don't know the answer. That It's possible, but <laughs> I, I think that probably the brain surgery was... <laughs> necessary. But oh my gosh, so you're back to normal with that then completely. I'm back to normal with that. Yeah. And thank God the, like I said, the the sciatic problem also cleared up. So back, you're having the surgery November, 2021. You're not back to fasting other than that little brief time in 2019 where you did the Hugh Jackman style, <laughs> right. but you never were right. doing it again. So what, what happened after that surgery and what led you to intermittent fasting that second time? So I had the back surgery scheduled for June of 2022. And at that point, we were just about to move. We moved, we moved at the end of June. So I asked, I postponed the surgery because to August because of the move, but I was still in a lot of pain. August came and I remember one day at work, we had just moved and I was like, it is time to get this weight under control. It is just, the weight is too much. I could barely walk, do my walking. Just, I was in a bad place. And I remember going to the bathroom at work and we had like a one stall bathroom with the sink in it. And I went to wash my hands and I caught a glimpse of myself and I, I looked nine months pregnant. I just, my stomach was just inflamed, bloated. I just felt terrible, like two or three chins staring back at me. And I said, oh my goodness, it's time. It's time. I have to get this under control once and for all. It has to happen. So I came out of the bathroom and one of my old bosses, I ran into one of my old bosses at a different department. She said, how you doing, Sherry? And I said, I am fat. And I said, and I cannot stand it. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, I'm 
No, and I'm, like, I'm really expecting. sorry. She's expecting. Yeah, I'm really I'm sorry, fine. Teresa, but I just have made a decision. I am starting a diet immediately right now today. And she said, well, good luck. You can do it. So I, <laughs> I decided I was going to do what the diet, what all the nutritionists said to do and go back to that eating all these small meals. Never worked before, but this was the time. But this time I was going to do it by eating healthy. And I was not going to eat those packaged foods anymore. I was going to eat like fruits and vegetables. And even if I didn't like them, I don't care. So I started bringing like little cherry tomatoes and fairly good little healthy lunches. And I would eat my little tiny snacks all throughout the day. And, and I wasn't eating any processed food except for I was eating salami at lunchtime, but not a sandwich, just like a really low carb. Well, not even low carb because I was eating fruit, but like a whole food type based diet. I was having like my tomatoes, berries, a little piece of cheese, um, salami, an energy bite made with like oats and honey and flaxseed. And I was eating really quite healthy. Um, and I did that for the month of August. In September, I checked my weight and I was down like four and a half pounds. Awesome. That's so, you know, the difference was real food versus the, the processed food did make a difference. It did make a difference. But to me, I felt like I've changed my diet like 100% and I've only lost five pounds. So I was thinking that wasn't very good. And my mom said, well, what are you going to do? You're not going to go back. And I said, no, I don't know. And she said, you know, maybe you should try your intermittent fasting again. You did really well with that. And I said, hmm, maybe. I said, that was kind of really hard <laughs> because I was dirty fasting and I was having the French vanilla creamer and the coffee and I was white knuckling it till 11. My, my window back then was 11 to 7. And it was difficult to make it to 11, but I could do it. We were texting and she said, my friend Gail is doing it. She read the book and she is doing great. And I thought to myself, first of all, I thought, what book? And then secondly, I thought, <laughs> Gail is like, you're, she's always been skinny her entire life, skinny, her skinny friend. And she's now in her 70s and she's doing intermittent fasting. Why? And she said, oh, she's doing it for health reasons. And I, I'm at work thinking, what? What? There's a book? So I said, what's the name <laughs> of the book? And she said, Fast Feast Repeat by Jen Stevens. Can you order it for me? This is my mom saying that. So I said, of course. So I ordered it immediately. And it came the next day through Amazon. Now I got a bootleg copy that was not, your, not the one you tell people to buy because I didn't know that they weren't all. I got a real copy of the real book, but it started on page 187. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and the whole book was in there, but it was out of order. Oh, gosh. So I'm like, this is, what is this? This is crazy. It could have been a printing error. I don't know. But there are all sorts of crazy things on Amazon. <laughs> like, for example, there's like a blank Fast Feast Repeat cookbook or notebook or something. And sometimes people order that and they're like, what? I, your book has no words in it. I'm like, Weird. I promise you, my book does have words in it. <laughs> yeah. So it came from my mom in the mail and I wasn't going to see her for two days. Oh, so I'm like, well, I have the book. I'm going to read it. And I started, found page one and started, <laughs> started reading it. And I knew from the second I started the book that this was it for me. Like this was going to be life changing for me. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? 
or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I will tell you, my eureka moments. I realized that intermittent fasting, there was a real science behind it. And it was not a crazy fad diet. It was a real way to lose weight and get healthy from reading your book. And the clean fast made complete sense to me. You said everything in there that I felt was wrong with that other intermittent fasting I did. I'm like, wow, I could skip the coffee. I don't need the coffee. So for a while, I just gave it up. And then it was so much easier to make it to 11, 12, 1, easily. I think I started at 16, 8, but after reading the book, within two days, I was at 18, 6. Sometimes 19, 5 was my regular protocol during all those losing weight months, most, most all of them. And then sometimes 20, sometimes 21, sometimes 22-hour fasts. The clean fast makes such a difference, doesn't it? It made a huge difference. And then also I found out I was a huge podcast listener, but I never looked around. I just liked true crime podcasts. So I didn't realize there were health podcasts out there and that intermittent fasting stories was one of them. So immediately I started listening to those and I just binge listened, you know, every walk I was listening to the stories and just learning so much from every story. And it just life-changing. I love that. So um, how did the weight loss go for you? So for me, I started in August at 164. I started intermittent fasting in September of 2022. So about one month later, and I was down 4.8 pounds. For me, I lost at a really pretty quick rate. September, 7.2 pounds. October, 11 pounds. November 9.3, December 6.3, and I hit my goal, my original goal, which was 129. Wow. Yay. That was pretty quick. So 35 pounds, December 11th, I hit that. So I lost 35 pounds at that point. We had a trip to Jamaica planned for January of 2023. I said, I'm just going to keep at this and see where I end up. So before we left for Dominican, I hit 124. And so we went to a giant resort in Dominican, had a great time. On the very last night of our trip, I don't know if I got food poisoning or if I got environmental poisoning because I was out walking every morning of our trip. I ate whatever I wanted on that vacation, but I was out walking every morning before, you know, right at, at dawn. And the only other people out, there were a couple of people walking or jogging, not many, but all of the workers were out taking care of the plants. And I think I could have been sprayed. Yeah. My stepmother had something like that happen to her at a hotel. And she had, it was definitely from something they had used in the room. Oh. So on the very last night of our trip, we went to a show. We had gone to an Italian restaurant for dinner. We went to a show, came back to the show at like 10 o'clock, went to bed like normal. Everything was great. We were leaving the next day at 11 or checking out of the hotel at 11 to head for the airport. And at around one, I had to go, went to the bath, went running for the bathroom and got massive diarrhea, vomiting. And I had kind of snuck into our giant bathroom and the bathroom had like a the little closet for the toilet. So it was very insulated and quiet in there. And I was on that toilet for two hours, like sick, sick, sick. And my husband was fast asleep. My mom was in the room too, and she was fast asleep. They didn't know I was in there. Well, I got up to turn around to throw up in the toilet, and I found myself passed, woke up, passed out on the floor. And when I got up to get back on the toilet, I realized my ankle wasn't right. Oh, no. And next thing you knew, I was passed out on the floor again. And 
after three attempts at getting up and passing out, my husband found me on the floor and they had to call medics to come in. I was just drenched in sweat. My blood pressure was like 80 over 50. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was nothing. It was bottomed out. They couldn't get a temperature reading. We had a medic at the resort. It was a big resort. And they said, we, we can't really help her here because she's you know not well, really, really not well. So they called an ambulance, which took me to the scariest hotel I've ever seen. And they couldn't get a vein to like hydrate me. I'm at the hospital. So you're at the hospital by this point? I'm just shivering, freezing to death, just really sick. And they just didn't have any resources. They came in with this, it looked like a reading lamp, like a tall lamp. with It had like an LED light bulb in it. And they put that on me for warmth because <laughs> that's all they had. They didn't have any blankets. Oh they gosh. didn't have any sheets. They didn't have any pillows. Pretty scary. Not good to get sick in a third world country. <laughs> so by the next morning, they got me warmed up enough to get an IV going and the diarrhea had stopped and they were able to get me on the mend, but they wanted to admit me for at least 24 to 48 hours. And our flight was leaving that day. And I was on that flight. I was getting on that flight. I did not care. Uh, she said, you can't go, to, you, you know, and we're trying to speak. They speak only Spanish. Uh, we speak not much Spanish. So it was really difficult. But I knew I didn't want to get moved to a room in this hospital. I wanted to leave the emergency room and go home. So they determined that I had broken, definitely broken one leg and they weren't sure about the foot on the other leg. I said, what can you do to bandage me up so I can get on an airplane? And they put me in an open cast because they can't put, you can't be in a full cast and fly because of the pressure on an airplane can cause your leg to swell. Oh, that makes sense. So they put me in an open cast. I put a shoe on the other really sore foot and they set me up at the airport in a wheelchair and they raced me through the airport and we got home and I had broken two toes on the left foot and the right leg, I broke the tibia and the fibula on the right leg. So I was quite a, quite a lot. Quite a lot. Dude. So when you got back home, did you keep fasting? Yes. So when I got back home, I said, I am not going to sit on a couch and gain all this weight back. I am not going to do it. So I, instead of just going back to my fasting, I went to alternate day fasting. Okay. And you know what? That's a lot of time for healing when you're doing That's the alternate day fasting, right? Your body can repair. So how did the repair process go for your body? So I came back from my vacation. I think I gained two pounds over that whole week of eating, but I certainly had a rough end to the week. So I did the alternate daily fasting for six weeks and I lost another 10 pounds. Wow. And I had another trip planned for the end of March. And they said, oh, we don't even know if your, your cast will be off by then. But I worked hard to get that cast off. And what did your weight get down to with alternate daily fasting? I hit 50 pounds down on March 6th. Wow. And now I'm at 58. Wow. So you're at 58 pounds down. And I bet you, you feel great. I feel amazing. I feel like I'm, I'm 18. I was able to heal my leg I worked really hard to heal that leg really quickly, and I joined a gym in May, and I love all the classes. I got a Zumba and TRX and kickboxing, and I'm at the gym six days a week. I'm still walking every day, and I'm off insulin. Wow. I was hoping to hear that. So your diabetes, is what do they call it in remission? They haven't called it that yet. My A1C, like I said, at one point was 11.3. I think when I started, the last A1C before I started losing weight was like 9.3. And every time since, it's gone down, down, down. And I I'm, think I'm around 6.4 was the last one. So I'm still over six, but I'm, okay, but, I'm, but go, I'm coming down. for the fives. Yeah. my I had my... 
the fasting insulin? Fasting insulin. I had that done in November of 2022. So I'd been fasting a couple of months at that point, and it was 29. Okay. Yep. That's high. That's high. I had it done again in March of 2023. Yeah. After my six weeks of alternate daily fasting, it was down to 7.7. Wow. That is just really good. You are going the right direction. Well, we are sadly almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? So a couple of things. I would say use the apps like Happy Scale, Zero, any of those apps. When I clicked Start Fast and I would set my timer for whatever I decide, I would decide, what am I going to do? 18 hours, 19 hours, 20 hours, whatever I decided, I was not breaking that fast until I hit it. And that worked really well for me to stay going. I would also say find your real why, not your superficial why. You know, don't try to lose weight just for a wedding or just to lose weight. You want to be healthy. You want to find what you want to be on the floor playing with your grandchildren or whatever, whatever it is. Find your real why. And then lastly, learn all you can about what makes your body tick. The doctors don't always know. Listen to podcasts, read books, surf YouTube, never stop learning. What works for you might not work for someone else. You're a study of one. And also be kind to yourself and know that if you have a bad day or you don't eat well one day, it's not the end of the world. Tomorrow's a new opportunity. Get back on track. Try something new. Tweak it till it's easy. I love that. Well, Sherry, you have quite a story, but my favorite part is now the age of 55, you feel like you're 18, even after brain surgery and having to medically escape (laughs) (laughs) to get back to the United States where you could heal. And it's a very empowering story of it's never too late to change our health trajectory, is it? It's not. I am eternally grateful to you and intermittent fasting. Changed my life. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder... Had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.